Today, I really, Dr. Getch, I, I use, I, you taught me how to preach. I was in your homiletics class, and sadly, in, 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 in your outline of, of preaching, that's how I preach, and, and, and I'm a lazy preacher. I prefer to stay in one text. Today, sadly, we're not going to do that, so please, Doc, don't, don't judge me too harshly uh, this morning, but there's something that God has been teaching me recently, and I want to teach it to you as well. I've been in church for 40 years. I'm 40 years old, and I did some quick math, not including special meetings, and I didn't even think about college chapel. I've sat in over 8,300 church services, including Sunday school, in my lifetime. And what I'm about to tell you, for whatever reason, it's not anyone's fault but my own, but what I'm about to tell you today is something that I missed. It's something that just never clicked in my mind. It's something that I just didn't see in Scripture, and I know I've heard messages on it, and I just missed it. And it's something that God has for me in the process of sanctification that He has me in. And it's something that God is teaching me, and it has helped me tremendously. And this is a question that God asked me a few months ago. And of course, God doesn't speak to me audibly, but He spoke in my spirit through His Word and through different things, and... He asked me this question. He said, Sam, he said, when did you die? A strange question. It's not an absurd question. I think it's a sensible question. I think it's a searching question. I think it's an important question. For every child of God in this room to ask yourself that question... When did you die? It is of the most vital and immediate importance for every child of God. And listen to these simple statements from God's Word, and we're going to bounce around, and I'd encourage you to listen as opposed to turning this morning. Paul wrote to the church at Colossae in Colossians 3 and Verse 3, he said, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. To Paul, in this verse, death was assumed. He wrote to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 6, in verse 2 through 6, he said, He said, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sins live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Verse 5 says, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Paul said, is crucified. Again, death is assumed. He writes to the church in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he said this. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Under Roman law, crucifixion was the cruelest form of capital punishment that they had. And that's the word that Paul chose 
under the inspiration of the Spirit of God as he said this, I am crucified with Christ. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, he said, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. When did you die? Have you ever asked yourself why your life at certain times, there's a consistent pattern of conflict? Anybody ever been in one of those patterns before? Raise your hand up high and be honest. It just seems like every day there's a conflict. Every day there's trouble. Every day there's a problem. And here's the problem with that. Everywhere you go, there you are. There's conflict. Have you ever struggled with a critical spirit? Can I let you into a dirty little secret about preachers? They're some of the most critical people on the planet. If we're not careful. Many of you young men have the call of God in your life and you're going to go to a place and you're going to go to a ministry and you're going to work for somebody and you're going to serve under someone and you're going to think this, you're going to be tempted to think this, I would do it differently. Well, they didn't do that at Lancaster Baptist. And shame on you if you go home and you tell your pastor, well, this is how Lancaster Baptist does it. That won't help. Do you ever wonder, though, why you struggle with a critical spirit? Why is it that you think that what you have to say is so important? Have you ever met people like that? I pastor people that are like that. They believe and they think, and I've preached this message to them, they believe and they think that how they feel is the single most important thing in the world. Can I, can I challenge you with this? Go and read through the Bible forwards and backwards and see if those two words are together. I feel they're not. God has given to us how we are supposed to think. It's this. It's not this, and it's not this. But why do we think that what we have to say is so important? Why do we think that our will and what we want, why do we think it's so important? It's simply this. It's because we're not dead. In August, we went back to Seattle, where we lived for 12 years in Everett, Washington. I had the privilege of preaching family camp. And we went back and had a great time and were able to see old friends and just enjoyed it. And on our way home, I, I love golf. Any golfers in here? Anybody like golf? I love it. I love golf. And I, I spent some time on the back end of that trip, was able to play some golf, and, and I didn't bring a hat on the trip. So I went to a golf store and I bought a visor. I bought a white Callaway golf visor. I thought I looked pretty cool in my visor. I liked my visor. And I put my, was traveling home, and I put it on my backpack, and I put it through TSA. How many of you love TSA? TSA is just a blast. I put it through the, the little conveyor belt there at TSA. I had my backpack, had my white visor. I clipped it to my backpack, and I had some other luggage, and hey, you have to take your shoes off, and I put all my shoes on, and then I start to see my hat as I'm putting my shoes on. I start to see my visor. It's come, it comes out. No, my bag came out. That's right. My bag came out with no visor on it. The visor was off. And all of a sudden, the visor came out. It looked like someone took the visor, crumpled it up, and rubbed grease all over it. I picked up the visor. I said to the TSA person, I said, thank you very much, SeaTac, and I threw it in the garbage. 
Now, why did I do that? Because I wasn't dead. Why did I act like an absolute spoiled little brat and my wife, who I love dearly? She just looks at me, doesn't say a word. She turns, she walks down the terminal, and I sheepishly come up beside her. I didn't say a word. We go to our gate. I say, I know. I know. That was wrong. Why? Because I wasn't dead. Here's what we try to do. We try to die gradually. In fact, we even spiritualize gradual death. I've even promoted gradual death. And here's what I mean by that. We're deceived into thinking I'm going to crucify myself in parts. We think, well, you know, we're coming on the Christmas season, and this year I'm really, I'm I'm not going to be as materialistic as I was last year. And we think that, well, I'm going to crucify materialism. And then we have January coming up, and many of you will make resolutions, and you say, well, this year I'm going to break this bad habit. I'm going to break this desire. I'm going to stop this inclination. I'm going to stop having affection for this. You see, man's method is gradual. God's method of dying is much more drastic and decisive. Self has been crucified with Christ in one act. An old preacher once wrote, he says, Do you know that G. Campbell Morgan came to this country and he preached one sermon that destroyed 40 years of my sermons? You ever have one like that? Forty years I had been preaching on the duty of sacrifice, denying things to ourselves, giving up this and that. And we practiced it in our family. We would give up butter one week and try to use the money in some way that God would bless Another week we would give up something else and so on. And Campbell Morgan said that what we needed to give up was not things, but self. And that was the only thing I had not given up in our home. We had given up everything under the sun, but self. Do you realize this, child of God? Understand this. God can do so much more with your surrender than you can with your control. God can do so much more if you just simply say, you can have it all. I read this a while ago, and it's become one of my mottos, and it's simply this. I try, I fail. I trust, he succeeds. I try, I fail. I trust, he succeeds. I am crucified with Jesus, and the cross has set me free. I have risen again with Jesus, and he lives and reigns in me. It is sweet to die with Jesus to the world and self and sin. It is sweet to live with Jesus. As he lives and reigns within. This, the story of the master, through the cross he reaches the throne. And like him, our path to glory ever leads through death alone. A simple question for us this morning is this. When did you die? And there are two facets to dying. Number one, the characteristic of the dead. The characteristic of the dead. Go if you would to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. I want you to see this. The characteristic of the dead. Galatians chapter 5 and the 24th verse, Paul writes, And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Have you ever spent any time with a corpse? Anybody? 
ministering for 12 years in, in, in Seattle, everybody is uh, cremated. I think we probably had 35 or 40 funerals in our time that we were in Everett, and there may have been one or two caskets that were ever in the church. Everybody was cremated. Now you go to West Virginia, and very few people are cremated. And, and, and so I've had the privilege, and I'll say this, if, for you young men, one of the greatest privileges you're going to have in being a pastor is to have the opportunity to spend time with people as their loved ones are dying. It is an intimate moment. It is a sweet moment. It is something to be cherished that you as a minister of the gospel can be with someone as they pass. And in these moments, you have the opportunity to spend some time with a corpse. You know, there's some interesting things about corpses. Corpses don't talk. In fact, I'd like to help us. Can you, can you come up with me, sir? Come here. What's your name? Jacob. Jacob. Go ahead and put your Bible down. I want you to lay down right here, Jacob. Cross your arms. Now, Jacob, you're dead. And we're here this morning to mourn the life that was Jacob. Now, Jacob, remember you're dead, so you can't say anything back to me. Tell you what, that Jacob, what's your last name? Dorsey. That Jacob Dorsey's a jerk. That Jacob Dorsey, he is a waste of human flesh. That Jacob Dorsey, that kid is unbelievable. Tell you what, Jacob Dorsey, Jacob Dorsey, you're the best preacher at West Coast. Jacob, don't tell anybody. I think you're better than Dr. Getch. <laughs> Jacob, you are so handsome. Jacob, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. <laughs> Jacob, you're awesome. You know what dead people don't do? They don't respond to criticism and they don't respond to praise. Jacob, you can be seated. Thank you. Give him a round of applause. You know what else dead people don't do? Dead people don't have unrealistic expectations. Dead people don't care if they're first. Dead people don't care if they get chosen to be the leader of missionary prayer band. Dead people don't care when the, when the uh, dorm supervisors still have those people. Dead people don't care when the dorm supervisor tells you to clean up your room and it's not good enough. Dead people don't care. You know what we need? This world needs a bunch of Christians that are absolutely dead. But we don't. We have a bunch of Christians that absolutely think that what they have to say matters. And it doesn't, friends. Dead people don't care. Dead people don't care if they get praised. They don't care if they get criticized. Dead people don't need it. Dead people know what's important. Dead people don't have an opinion. They don't need attention. Ask God to deliver you from you any of your flesh that still exists, ask God to help you crucify it so that you may be dead to self and alive to Christ. Someone asked George Mueller the secret of his service to God, and this was his reply. It was brilliant. 
Brother Mueller said, there was a day when I died. As he spoke, he bent lower until he almost couched, touched the floor, continuing. He added, he said, he said, I died to George Mueller. I died to his opinions. I died to his preferences. I died to his tastes and will. I died to the world, its approval or censor. I died to the approval or blame even of my brethren or friends. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. The characteristic of the dead is just that. They're dead. But secondly, I want you to see this. The conundrum of dying. The conundrum of dying. Go, if you would, to 1 John chapter 2. The conundrum of dying. The characteristic is this. I fade. I don't matter. But here's the conundrum. John writes this in verse 6. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Speaking of our Lord. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. If I profess to be a believer, and see, I believe this, I believe that belief should affect behavior. And if I profess to be a believer, if I profess to know Jesus, that means this, I'm going to be identified with Him. I'm going to be like Him. Paul wrote this in Colossians 3, he says, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God, when Christ, who is our life, John wrote in the 16th chapter in verse 13, he says, He will guide you into all truth, speaking of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Acts chapter 5, verse 32, The Holy Spirit is given to them that obey Him. Realize this, the moment you accepted Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God took residence in your life. You're not going to get any more of the Holy Spirit than you've got right now. However, He will get more of you. But you've got as much of the Holy Spirit as you're ever going to get when you believed and there will not be a problem for you accepting your death if you are a sincere seeker after truth. If you sincerely want to know truth, if you sincerely want to follow Christ, you will not have a problem dying. God's Word only needs, you, only needs to be heard. God's Word needs to be heeded and it needs to be obeyed. Now here is the conundrum of dying. It's in Romans chapter 6, verse 12 and 13. Paul writes this. He said, let, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Here it is. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. Satan is very cunning. He will allow you to be as religious as as you please. He will allow you to look great on the outside. He will allow you to even serve. Get this, child of God, you can go, you can serve God for decades and never die. So how do you know that? I've done it. Did it for a long time. You can serve and you can do religious activity and you can be everything that people think you need to be, but on the inside, 
you're still in control. On the inside, you have yet to surrender to God. You say, wait a minute, Sam, I'm here at West Coast Baptist College. I'm all in. I'm surrendered. Are you? Are you really? Every part of you, you have surrendered over to God. Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, he puts this truth before us and he says this. He says, yield yourself and then your members. A very poor man lived alone in a little hut. And the poor man decided to sell it. And he, he went about the place patching the roof and repairing it carefully, feeling a sense of pride that the, the rich man should desire his hut. After the money was paid, the new owner began at once to tear down the shack. And the poor, bewildered man protested with him. He said, don't, he said, don't tear down my little home. I, I've repaired it all so nicely. But the wealthy man replied, I... I do not want your shack. I only want the site, the corner lot. He only wanted the corner lot. I've repaired it. He said, it's not our shack. He said, I don't want your shack. He said, I only want the site, the corner lot. He said, it's not our shack. It is not our shack patched up with the energy of the flesh that our Lord desires from any of us. It is the sight ourselves. He wants and has all rights to, that he may build a fabric of his new creation and so manifest to men his life, not ours. Child of God, I would ask this of you. Let him have yourself. Let him have yourself. A couple of years ago, we were in Maui on vacation. And that's my favorite place. I love Maui. It was 2017. Our daughter was six years old. Her name is Phoebe. She was five years old. Her name was Phoebe. And we didn't tell Phoebe. We had a surprise for her. We were on one part of the island called Kihei. And we had friends that were on the other part of the island in Lahaina. And one of those friends was a person that she called her California best friend. And her California best friend is Matt Chappell's daughter, Liv. That's her California best friend. She didn't know that her California best friend was on the other side of the island. Well, her and I, we're, we're in the waves, and we're at a beach that we love, and we're just playing in the waves, and we're going back and forth in the waves. We're having a great time. We're just going back and forth. We're playing. I said, honey, we've got to go in five minutes. I said, we got to get to the other side of the island. We, 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 we got some plans. We're just going back and forth with playing in the waves, having a great time. And she says, but Dad, I don't want to go. I said, honey, it's going to be okay. So we're playing for five more minutes, and it's time to leave. It's time to leave. And I said, honey, we've got to go. We've got to get to the other side of the island. And she says, Dad, I don't want to go. I said, honey, it's on vacation, so you don't really want to in the middle of everybody's, you know. I said, honey, we've got to go. And here's what she said. Under her breath, she said this. You're the worst. I said, excuse me? And here's what went through my mind. We spent thousands of dollars to take her on an incredible vacation. We're in paradise. We're having the absolute best time together, 
and I have a plan for her that she knows absolutely nothing about. We're taking her to see her California best friend, and we're going to have a great day together. She has no clue what's coming up. And she says to me, you're the worst. And in that moment, the Spirit of God said, son, that's exactly what you say to me. I've got a plan for you, son. I've got something that I want you to do, son. I've got a will for you. It's going to be great. It won't always be easy, but it's going to be great. And I looked at God and I say oftentimes, you're the worst. Why? Because I want what I want, just like my five-year-old girl wanted what she wanted. Child of God, when did you die? We'll close with the words of our Savior. In case you need more convincing, it's always good to see what he has to say on the issue. And in John chapter 12, in the 24th verse, our Lord tells us something very important. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. When did you die? 